got one goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome to another episode of Golf Drinking and Life. My name is Colin McKern. I'm a PGA professional and a Callaway staff member here in Mobile, Alabama. My brother is Corey McKern. He is a professional opera singer and a professor at the University of West Florida. Corey is on deep cover assignment in Saudi Arabia as we speak, trying to get to the bottom of this Super Golf League. Now has been announced as the LIV Invitational Series. Um, boy, lots happened in golf here since we've been to you a week ago. Um, Corey is actually busy this week in uh, Nashville teaching a master class, and he's got his children with him, so he is unable to join the podcast today. But uh, I know that uh, he is is super busy. He uh, started his trip off, so let me go back a little bit. Um, Tuesday was our birthdays, both of ours. Uh, we were born on the same day, March 15th, three years apart. So I turned 49 on Tuesday and Corey turned 46. He started his birthday off by getting the kids in the car to travel from Pensacola to Nashville and promptly had a dead battery and had to go sit in a uh, car repair shop for a approximately three hours trying to get said battery changed. So I know that was a uh, crappy way to start off his birthday and a long trip with two young children. So um, Corey's having quite a week here, but happy birthday. Happy belated birthday, Corey. Uh, we miss you on the show today and look forward to having you back next week. As I said earlier, we've had a lot of stuff come out in the golf world yesterday, actually. Um, Let's just say that Greg Norman has jumped the shark for sure, no pun intended. For those of you who don't know what the term jump the shark means, um, it, uh, it refers to a TV sitcom or series. It was coined, I think, or the best example is Happy Days when Fonzie actually literally jumped over the shark on water skis, meaning the riders are getting desperate and running out of stuff. So anyway... Um, Greg Norman has announced that, um, or the LIV Golf Invitational Series, not called the Super League anymore, backed by the uh, Saudis, is going to be, uh, I, I've read anything from eight to nine events starting in June. Um, $255 million in prize money throughout these events, and it will consist of individual and team play. Um, the first event is going to be June 9th through 11th at Centurion Golf Club in London. 9th, 10th, and 11th, three-day events, uh, no cuts. Not clear on how many players are going to be invited or play in each event. Um, the first seven events will have a $25 million purse, with $20 million of that purse going to individual uh, participants and five million going to the top three teams each week. It's unclear on how many players will be on each team. Um, I assume in my mind uh, two players per team, but I've heard it. I've heard it as much as four. So still unclear on a few of the points. Um, after the first seven events, the top three individuals will split an additional thirty million dollar bonus. It's unclear how that is going to be broken down. There will be a final event October 28th through the 30th, and it will be a team championship with a $50 million in prize money. Again, I'm not sure how many players are on each of these teams. I'm, I'm guessing somewhere between two and four. 
and unclear to what the exact format will be. But if you notice, both those events I've read to you are three-day events with no cuts. Um, there will be four events scheduled in the U.S. Pumpkin Ridge in Portland, Trump National in um, New Jersey, the International in Chicago, and Harvest Farms in Boston. Again, dates for these are unclear. I think that first one is scheduled in the United States for July 2nd, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So um, I've also read something about there's plans for, for a premier golf league in conjunction with the already established world tours, meaning PGA Tour and DP Tour. This could be the PGA Tour's reaction to this, similarly to what they did with the World Golf Championships the last time Norman tried to do this. So basically, Greg Norman, um, I can't remember how many years ago, 20 years ago or however long ago it was, um, got the idea to do a, a world golf league, basically, or a world golf tour. And, and it was similar to this idea that's going on with the um, with the Super Golf League or now the LIV Invitational Series, where he was going to take the top players in the world and have their own tour and make more money, less cuts, uh, whatever the format was going to be. When the PGA Tour got word of this, they structured those what we now call the World Golf Championships, which there are four of them. And basically, Norman felt like they blackballed him and stole his idea. He has been very bitter ever since. You notice he has played very few PGA Tour events towards the end of his career. As far as I know, he hasn't played in any Champions Tour events, but if he has, it's been very limited. So he has basically separated himself from the PGA Tour. And I'll just be honest with you, what this looks like is just pure um, bitterness and um, and um, retaliation, really. I, I don't see how this betters the professional game of golf. I don't see how this doesn't extremely tarnished Greg Norman's legacy in the game. You know, he was my favorite player as a kid growing up. And man, he is a complete, seemingly a complete dipshit at this point. Um, his letter to the commissioner was comical. I think we spoke about that on our last show. One of Somebody said, um, one of the popular golf announcers said it looked like Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers movies wrote the letter. Um, I, you know, I don't know if this stuff's going to get caught up in um, litigation or what's going to happen with this. But from from what I've been able to to gather just from the, the limited information that's available is the PGA Tour players can get um, three releases to play in events that are opposite of their own events. And um, those events cannot be in North America. So that leaves out the four events that are scheduled in the U.S. right now. And I just don't see the PGA Tour granting these releases. Um, maybe they will. I'm sure they will stick to the letter of the law on this, meaning the North American events will be out. They've threatened a banishment from the tour if any players play in this stuff. Don't know the legal, uh, you know, the legal ramifications of that or if they can legally do that. Uh, you know, sounds like they can to me. Uh, this is going to be very interesting. I'm not sure other than money what Greg Norman um, is trying to gain from all this. It really, really seems like um, revenge, retaliation, bitterness. Um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's, it's very odd and very disruptive to, 
in my mind in the game of golf in general. Um, in saying that, we we had the Players Championship last week, where um, the purse was twenty million dollars, highest purse ever on tour. Um, you had uh, Cam Smith ended up being the winner. Winner at thirteen under. Cam Smith won three point six million dollars. Um, Gentleman from India, Lahari, was 12 under, won 2.2 million, and Paul Casey was 11 under and won 1.4 million at third. So, purse was pretty healthy there on the PGA Tour. Um, if you watched any of the Players Championship, you know, the Players Championship is obviously famous for the 17th par three island green. The conditions were um, very brutal at this year's Players' Championship. Wind gusts up to 40 miles an hour, rain throughout the entire first three days of the event, basically. Um, the, the wave that played late Thursday and early Friday, or the wave that was scheduled to play late Thursday and early Friday, caught the bad part of the weather when the front was coming through and the winds were at its worst. Um, they didn't get to play very many holes on, on Thursday. I'm not sure if any golf was played at all on Friday. And then Saturday when they resumed play the, um, the, uh, the players who were finishing their late Thursday rounds and early Friday rounds were still caught in the worst of the winds. So it happens on tour sometimes, uh, it's just luck of the draw and what wave you get and how much you have to sit around waiting, what weather conditions you have to deal with. Justin Thomas and uh, Bubba Watson both played excellent rounds in those waves. Um, so it was it was out there if you had the patience to do it. But, you know, Brandel Chambly, who's a golf announcer on the Golf Channel and was a former PGA Tour player. And I like Brandel. He's, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of air time to fill on these golf telecasts and all these golf talk shows they do. But man, Brandel has, uh, I just disagree with him on his opinion of the 17th at, uh, at TPC at Sawgrass. He thinks that the 17th is unfair, especially under conditions like, um, like we had for this golf tournament. And the 17th hole plays somewhere between 135 and 135 yards and 145 yards. And the green's 4,000 square feet. It, you know, which is a pretty large green in golf. Um, granted, it's completely surrounded by water except for a little pot bunker that's kind of in the right middle side of the green. Um, and, and it is a difficult hole. And any golf hole is difficult when the wind is blowing at such high speeds. But I, I think that um, he was questioning whether or not this was tarnishing the the results of this championship because that it was dependent on luck to hit that green. I would disagree with that. I would say there was some some luck involved because of whether or not you got a gust while your ball was up in the air or whatnot. But the, the players who seemed to flight their ball lower and hit knockdown shots and control their spin had a better chance of knocking it on the green than the players who didn't. The players who just tried to hit it harder or hit it as high as they normally do had a lot of problems. Um, another thing you saw if you watched the tournament with the players is that they they were very indecisive, some of them on their shots, which is it, which is to be understood. I mean, golf's a difficult sport already without the wind blowing 
at such high speeds. Uh, I played a um, round Monday at Tiger Point, which is a 18-hole golf course in Gulf Breeze, Florida, just outside Pensacola. And 14 holes have water on it. They actually do have a par four that has an island green. The wind probably blew 10 miles an hour. I'm going to tell you what, that golf course was tough. It was tough, and I lost several golf balls because of it, um, usually because I made a bad swing with the combination of the wind. So, so I, I'm not, I, I understand how, how hard golf courses can be with wind and 10 mile an hour wind is nothing close to 25 to 35 mile an hour winds. But, um, you know, these guys are the best players in the world. I don't think that luck decided the championship because you had in Brandel's words, you had to be lucky to get it on the green on 17 in those first couple of days conditions. I don't think you had to be lucky. Um, you certainly didn't want to be unlucky and catch a gust in the middle of your swing or something like that, but, but it's just part of it. These guys today are used to hitting the ball straight and high period ball stops on the green ball stops in the fairway. You know, it's nice to see them play some conditions that are tougher where they struggle. No a golf course should not be unfair and it shouldn't be carnival like, and there shouldn't be any, you know, anything like that. But I, but I disagree with Brandel. I don't think that the, uh, the golf course was, was, was at that level. Um, so, you know, um, it was, it was fun to watch on TV other than the disruptions because of the weather. It's always nice to have a Monday finish for me because I'm off on Monday. So it was good to watch some of that on TV, even though I was busy with my own tournament practice round. Um, so, um, this whole thing with this, um, LIV invitational series and Greg Norman and, um, Mickelson's been quiet. We haven't heard anything from any players. Supposedly, um, Greg Norman has sent a letter to all the PGA tour players or some of the PGA tour players again. Um, information is sketchy at this point. I just, it's going to be very interesting moving forward. Greg Norman claims in a quote that I saw that he has um, either heard from or has commitments from single digit world ranked players, meaning that more than one player in the top 10 are going to end up playing in these top 10 in the world. So, so we shall see um, I, the, the way to, to, to knock this, away real quick is for either the majors as a group or the masters just come out and say, if you play in the story, you're not eligible for our tournament and that'll end it all. I'm not trying to be exclusionary here. Obviously I'm all for a free market and players should have the option to choose where they want to play. And it sounds like they will in some form have the option of where they want to play. It's just that they're not going to be able to, uh, to, uh, maybe play on both. And that's, you know, that's how the, the world, the professional world works. Um, you know, there, there, there are rules at your job on things you can and cannot do and, and all of our jobs. And uh, this is not any different than that. So, um, you know, when you, when you're, when you're rushing to judgment on one, one side or the other of this, um, you know, put it in perspective for your own job and things that you, you can or cannot do or would or would not do. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think if you really think about it, you know, the, these guys, the, the, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by this. I just don't understand. Um, you know, Greg Norman is, is in, in, in my opinion, really hurting the game of golf at this time. And if this premier league comes up, um, because of this and they, the, and they go to the, 
go to some certain things like they did with the World Golf Championships to kind of appease the players but get it out of Greg Norman's hands. Maybe that's a good thing, but maybe it's not. Uh, any of you diehard golf fans out there really pumped about any of the World Golf Championships? You know what's most exciting to me about the World Golf Championships is usually there is a opposite event PGA Tour event, and it allows players who maybe don't normally get a chance to start to play that week. Um, you know, I don't ever hear anybody say, man, I can't wait to tune into the Match Play Championship or some of the other World World, World Golf Championships, or if they even know that it's not a PGA Tour event. I mean, they are PGA Tour events, but that it's, that it's even a World Golf Championship. So... Um, I, I don't want to see our PGA Tour get watered down because of this, because of the PGA Tour trying um, to be proactive and create something unnecessary to stave off Greg Norman's idea like they did the first time. Um, the first time it was pretty low impact as far as affecting any of the other PGA Tour events. So, But at some point it may not be. I'm not trying to say I'm not for change. I'm certainly for the players and the players being able to make all the money they can. Um, I don't Nick Faldo. You guys Google Nick Faldo. He, I saw long video by him. It's at least five or six minutes talking about this. I saw it on Twitter. Um, he, um, basically was talking about how this doesn't work in his mind. I mean, these guys are out here. John Rom, let's just take John Rom for instance. He's number one in the world. I mean, he's out here. He's trying to win majors. He's trying to win five or six majors. He's trying to leave a legacy. If you go play in this new LIV Invitational Series, it doesn't even roll off the tongue, man. Super Golf League at least sounded better. I'm going to keep calling it Super Golf League for right now. If you go play in the Super Golf League, what kind of legacy are you leaving yourself? If you can't end up playing in majors or that's not your focus, you're playing in events where you're 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 getting um seemingly a high dollar amount just for being involved in these, just for showing up. Obviously, you're going to make more money if you play well, but if you're already comfortable, where does the competitive edge come from in this other than the fact that you want to keep your job? You don't want to be knocked out of this top 30 or whatever it is, but it sounds like you might be able to make enough money in one year. You don't have to worry about it anymore anyway. Um, for a mid-40s, for a player in his 40s who hasn't won a major and is on their way out, this is probably a no-brainer financially. But that I don't think that's who they're looking for. You know, Do we want to turn this on to watch Phil Mickelson and Lee Westwood? We already have that. It's called the Champions Tour. Um, I, you know, so... Without getting some of these young, highly ranked world players, this model doesn't work anyway. Maybe we're overreacting. Maybe we're giving this thing too much press. But it was it was a lot yesterday. I was shocked when I saw it. I really did think this thing would go away. I did certainly didn't think they were going to release any kind of schedule. It's pretty brazen of them to have um, four events in the U.S., knowing that the PGA Tour will not release their players to play in events in North America. Uh, seemingly, I would think they knew that. So I don't know. This whole thing's a little bit comical. Um, let me do a little housekeeping here. We want to thank all the listeners. We are now in uh, 24 countries and 400, right at 450 cities. Please continue to share and spread the word uh, about the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Colin McKern. You can email the show golfdrinkinglife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Any thoughts, uh, ideas for future shows, guests, 
Um, we're still working on on um, Dan Patrick and David Faraday. David Faraday is well, we're in season two now, so we're off of Dan and we're on to David Faraday. David Faraday says his two favorite things are golf and opera. Growing up, so well, what better podcast? So David Faraday. Um, new episodes will be out every Thursday morning. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, basically wherever you you can find your podcast. If you're new, I, I encourage you to start with episode one and two from seasons one. Um, those episodes kind of give you the reason why we started this podcast. And I think after that, each episode stand on it stands on its own. One of the reasons why we started this podcast is I am currently just about to be 21 months sober. So almost two years sober from an addiction to a severe addiction to alcohol that that uh, almost led to me dying two years ago or nearly two years ago. So um, we, we talk a lot about recovery and drinking on the, on the show. We talk a lot about golf. And then of course life is uh, pretty much encompassing to everything. So um, we've enjoyed doing the show again. We're on season two. It's been great fun. Corey is out today um, because he is busy doing some opera stuff in Nashville and he has his two kids with him. Um, my dad lives in Nashville, so he's there to help him. So I hope they're having a great trip. I, I said at the beginning of the show that Corey was undercover trying to get to the bottom of the Saudi golf league um, info. So Corey, make sure you don't get your hands or your head chopped off while you're doing that. I'm sure you'll blend right in over there. You won't stick out like a pasty Irish boy. Uh, speaking of being a pasty Irish boy, happy uh, St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Today is St. Patrick's Day, so it's uh, kind of um, it's uh, always kind of strange that our birthdays fall right there two days before St. Patrick's Day, uh, be it that we're Irish. Anyway, I also want to give a belated birthday to my mother. Her birthday was on March 14th, so you got my mom's birthday on March 14th, my birthday on March 15th, and my younger brother's birthday on March 15th, so it's very easy to keep track of growing up. All right, so now the challenge of me today is going to be trying to fill up 50 minutes without my uh, co-host with me. So uh, he says that I like to talk a lot anyway, and he can hardly get a word in. So uh, surely that should work out well. Um, we've got the Valspar this week. I believe that's in Tampa. I saw an interview with Dustin Johnson yesterday. He likes this golf course. Has won there before. He's hasn't been playing well so far this year, but he was talking yesterday that he's only played in a few events. I think he's played in four events this year. And so um, these players like Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, the top players in the world, try to get their game to peak for Augusta in April. So um, obviously they want to play good in the Players' Championship, and they want to play good in any tournament they play in, but there's a method to their madness as far as trying to get their game to peak for the major. So that first major being um, the Masters coming up here in April. Uh, while we're talking about the Masters, if you have not been to Augusta National and you ever get the chance, um, you, you have to absolutely go. It is the one place talked about it on the last podcast but is the one place that lives up to whatever expectations you have of it i promise you it will be better than you think it's an amazing place you can enter for tickets at face value at uh go to the masters google masters tickets and go to their official site um they have actually you fill out a um uh, an application and it asks you what days you want, how many you want. And it's an actual lottery. 
They uh, close it off at a certain time. And if you get the tickets, they send you word and you can buy the tickets for face value. The face value of the tickets, I can't remember what they are, but they're somewhere between $50 and $100 per ticket. It's not terrible. I've gotten tickets in the lottery one time before, I think. I actually took my ex-wife, Beth, with me, who's not a huge golf fan, but she absolutely loved it. Um, it's just that kind of place. I can get in every year on my PGA badge. I say every year. It's an invitation by Augusta. They usually invite us, but I can't bring anybody with me. So oftentimes when I've gone over there, I've gone with other PGA members. Or if I get tickets in the lottery, I'll take guests with me. Um, but uh, but I encourage you, if you have not been to Augusta, to 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 enter that lottery and try to get tickets. It's uh, it's an amazing place. So, um Spring is finally, we had a little cold snap this weekend here in Mobile, and spring is finally um, starting to arrive this week. We've got temperatures back up into the 70s, and um, unfortunately, everything's blooming down here, so we're about to get into some thick, thick pollen. So, um, the other big announcement in golf, and I'm not sure that this was meant to all happen in the same day yesterday, but the USGA has now come out and kind of laid down the groundwork to um to start tweaking the rules and either freezing or rolling back the equipment the ball and the clubs seemingly for the tour professionals or players at the highest levels and not for players recreational players um I don't know what exactly what all that means. It sounds like a first. What they've said is that they're going to look further into this and come come and announce their findings in September of this year. Um, but really what it sounds like to me is they talked about the sweet spot of the club being too big, especially on drivers. And so what I think you're going to end up having just from this preliminary information is you're going to end up having a different set of clubs and balls that tour players use. Now, when I say tour players, I don't know where that stops and starts. Do college players have to play that same equipment and ball? Do high US, you know, USGA, US amateur, that kind of stuff? Would it be the US amateur has to do it, but the ladies amateur and the senior amateur does? I mean, there's all kinds of weirdness that comes in with this. And I'm just going to say this right now because I'm the grumpy old man that get off your lawn old man now, but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Um, I don't like the fact, I think the one thing about golf is, is that no matter who you are, if you're an 18 handicap and you shoot 90 and you equate that to shooting 72 with your handicap, um, you're using the same clubs and the same balls, maybe not the weight and shaft stiffness and all that, but as the guys on TV. So you're still somewhat comparing yourself to the guys on TV and the gals on TV. And I think that that is important. I just think it's important. Um, it would be like saying that uh, all of a sudden that the NBA is going to be 10 foot goals and everybody else is going to have eight foot goals. Well, I mean, how do you know how good you really are? I just, I don't know. I don't, I, I know that most people aren't trying to get on tour, don't have any aspirations of getting on tour, but I don't like having a separate set of equipment for both. And, and what they talked about in this initial report is that you, you can hit the club 
you can hit the ball too far away from center for it to have a dramatic effect anymore. So that if they decrease the, the sweet spot in these better players clubs is there'll be more of a penalty for not hitting the ball dead in the center of the face, which is the way it used to be with golf equipment because it was so shitty. Let me repeat that. That's the way it used to be with golf equipment because it wasn't very good. All right. It wasn't because they wanted the sweet spot to be that small. It was because they they couldn't get it any bigger. The clubs were wooden. They were smaller than my hand. Um, they were wound with string between the club and the shaft. Now that was mostly decoration, but still, you, you get what I'm saying here. Um, it you know the equipment was what it was because they didn't know how to make it any better. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't like this initial report. I think it, um, you know, I'm, I, there's sometimes when you glad, I'm glad that I'm 49 and I'm glad this isn't going to affect me for very much of my golf existence. I can only imagine, you know, what point. So, you know, what you're going to have is you're going to have rec- some recreational players who want to be good golfers or want are going to want to get their hands on this equipment and want to play with it. It's going to, you know, maybe it, it, and then some of what they said was for recreational golfers, they were going to just throw out all the um, a lot of the 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 equipment rules in general and let their clubs go however far the companies could allow them to go or whatever. So you're, you're creating to me kind of, I'm all for helping the recreational golfer and seemingly making the game easier, more fun for them. I think that can be accomplished by T moving up by um, educating players on what tees to play and things like that. I don't think you need to make the equipment silly for recreational players and too hard for professional players. You want to get a, um, you want to get the PGA tour ratings, to start going down, you've got this other golf league already coming in. What if they say, okay, these tour players can use whatever equipment they want. The PGA Tour has to use this new stricter modifications. And I'll be honest with you, while we do like to see the tour players struggle and shoot close to even par on your U.S. Opens, your players' championship for part of it this week, and, and events like that, that's an outlier. That's occasionally we like to see that. We don't like to see it every week. Um, it, would, it would become increasingly more difficult to watch, I think. Um, I could be wrong. Um, and, you know, I know that there's an argument about real estate and golf courses are getting too long. They're too expensive to water and build and maintain because of the additional length you have to add to them. Maybe so, but again... Um, the quote from Francis Kuhmet in 1955 talking about the, the equipment was taking the skill out of the game. I mean, it's just, this is a never ending. Um, it's a never ending battle. The game, in order for the game to proceed through the future, you have to, you know, it's okay now to start, in my opinion, if you want to start limiting it and start putting some reins on it going forward, that's fine. But any kind of rollback to me, is just I don't know. It's not in the spirit of sport. It's uh, you know you've it's gotten to the point where it's gotten. I don't think it's out of control. These players, it's not like these players are sitting around eating bonbons and drinking beer, and that's one of the reasons why they hit it so far. These guys are world class athletes that spend hours and hours and hours a week on fitness diet, all kinds of stuff so they can create the swing speeds that they create. This did not just come from equipment. The equipment certainly helps, 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, and, and I don't know where this is going to go, but I think this is basically the USGA saying, okay, here's your little, this is what we're going to do. We don't have the specifics yet. So get it out of you, get your piss and vinegar out of your system because it's coming. Um, it's not un, unlike other businesses do in anything, whether you're warning employees policy change or whatever, and you, and you try to ease into it. So you, so you give them some time to get used to it. And then that's what I see is. USGA's announcement yesterday. So let's talk a little bit. We, we talked briefly about uh, me being sober almost two years now. We haven't talked in the last couple episodes of this season much about, about that, but um, just a little check-in on that. Everything's going well. 21 months sober. You know, it's, it's, it, it took nearly dying two years ago. I was um, in the hospital for almost 10 days. My weight had got, I'm, I'm normally about 195, which is what I am now. I'd gotten down to 152. Um, my liver was at the point where it was not processing um, liquids like it should be. So not only was I losing weight, I was having a difficult time eating, which was causing, causing the weight loss. Um, I was retaining fluid, which is called ascites, which mostly showed up in your stomach. So my stomach was was bloated and looked, I looked basically like a person who was starving. If you ever saw the pictures of the starving kids in Africa, they had skeleton bodies with that big stomach sticking out. That's exactly what I looked like um, body, body wise. And it was bad enough to the point where, um, I, I didn't know I was losing all that weight because when I would stand on the scale, I had about 12 to 15 pounds of fluid in that stomach. So my weight was artificially high, but it still got so bad to the point towards the end that, um, that I could start to see in the mirror how, how, how there was basically no muscles on my arms whatsoever. They just looked like skin and bones. Um, I, I, I could not hit the golf ball anywhere. I mean, I couldn't hit a driver 200 yards, stuff like that started showing up. And when you start to notice your own weight loss in the mirror, the mirror that you look in every day, it's one thing for somebody who hasn't seen you in six weeks or two months, but when you start to notice your own weight loss, it can be a scary thing. Um, in this case it was. And, um, unfortunately after many attempts at trying to stop drinking over the years, um, it took this, I had actually stopped drinking about a week before I went to the hospital. I went to the hospital on July 4th, had to call an ambulance from my house. I was just so weak, dehydrated. Um, my body was basically shut down at this point. It was uh, in 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 basically die mode. And when I went to the hospital, I had already had some tests done by the doctors. When we were going through the initial stages of all this, we knew it was cirrhosis of the liver. Didn't know exactly how bad it was, but um, at any rate, I quit drinking a week before I went to the hospital. And in the hospital, they gave me, you know, some, some different IVs to to kind of boost my um, system up a little bit. And basically we were on a wait and see point. It was, okay, you've cut out the alcohol. You need to continue no alcohol and let's see how damaged your liver is. Sometimes it's too damaged. Your liver doesn't repair itself. It, it, it only, but, but it can work without the full amount of liver. So we, we had to see when I quit putting alcohol in my body, if the liver would stop if the damage would stop where it was and it apparently did, I, I had blood work done about a month ago. All my numbers are, uh, are pretty good except my sugar levels are a little high because I cannot stop eating sugar. It's ridiculous. Part of that is from the, um, 
is is your body craves the sugar. You, you you get a lot of sugar from drinking alcohol. Um, and when you when you cut that out, your body starts to crave sugar because it's funny. Other than alcohol, I never really ate a lot of sugar, so um, it's a it's a challenge now not to eat too much sugar. But that's a lot better challenge than 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 not drinking too much or drinking too much. So anyway, that's kind of my my background. We haven't talked about it much this season. Doing well. There's no. Um, I, I'm very vocal about. I joke about drinking a lot. I work at a golf course. I'm around people who drink. I play golf a lot. I'm around people who drink a lot. It does not bother me. I am not tempted to drink. There are times in my life where I've tried to quit and it's been white knuckle the whole time. Um, I'm just not there. I think that that it was bad enough this time and painful enough. I was in severe pain for a while going into that. And then even after getting out of the hospital, it was difficult just to do, um, just to do daily things like riding in the car, um, you know, taking a shower, hell, even sleeping. It was just, there were a lot of things that were difficult to do and and painful. So it was, it was finally enough of a wake up call for me that, uh, that, that, that I have, I have quit drinking. So we, we talked about this before on the show. And if you're, if you're out there listening and, and you're you're thinking, I don't have a drinking problem or, you know, I didn't want to hear that I had a drinking problem. I knew that I did, but I thought I managed it pretty well. And I, and and to be honest with you, I think I did manage it as well as somebody can manage that, but um, sooner or later, it's going to get you health wise. Um, And, and I was fortunate. I didn't get in, in trouble from it, but it's going to catch up to you. DUIs or stuff like that. I never had any knock on wood was very lucky. Um, but, um, but the two indicators, if you're out there wondering, are, um, if you drink more than you want to drink when you drink and you drink when you don't want to drink and you can decipher those however, which way you want. But, you know, if you're planning on only having a few beers and it turns into a seven hour, just getting blacked out drunk every time, that's a good indication. It doesn't have to be that severe of an example. And also drinking when you not when you don't want to drink means waking up that next morning and saying, you know, I need to take a couple of days off. I'm not going to drink today. And then at some point in that day, you're starting to drink, um, usually with a little anxiety about it when you first start doing it because you know you shouldn't be because you don't want to. And, you, you know, you've been doing it too much. But then seemingly after you have the first couple, it just leads you right back to where you where you are every day when you drink. So those are two kind of indicators. Um, to ask yourself if you're worried about yourself having a problem. Um, many people have emailed the show and talked to us about their problems or their loved one problems. We would never share that specifically on the air, but if you want to email the show, we'd love to hear your stories. Um, you know, everybody, I, a lot of people have this vision of an alcoholic being the guy standing by the side of the road with the sign the homeless man with the sign under the bridge. And that's just not the reality of it. The reality is there are people that you know in your daily life more, 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 way more than you know. Um, You know, they're family members, they're people at work, they're people at church. Um, People do a pretty good job of hiding that and hiding it for a long time. Um, and, and I think it would shock you to know the number of people who have a drinking problem who either know they have it or don't know they have it. Um, but, um, 
but yeah, and and it leads into all the you know the the easy signs when you're starting to sneak it. And I'll tell a story today about. Um, so towards the end, I would certainly drink when I would play golf because my nerves had gotten to the point where I couldn't um, I, I couldn't perform, especially putting. I just I could. My hands were too shaky. Period. So I had to have a couple of drinks to play golf. And in order to do that, a lot of times I would have um, vodka in a Dasani water bottle. Well, the vodka had to get into that Dasani water bottle. And a lot of times that process took place before I'd had a drink. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to see something, I'm going to call it funny right now, but it probably wasn't all that funny of a person with shakes trying to pour vodka out of the bottle into the tip of a Dasani water bottle it's comical. And then like your mind works as it does in any anxiety, when you see your hand start shaking and you're trying to keep it from not shaking, it only makes it worse to a point where there were times where I would get a paper funnel from the gas station and stick it in that bottle. So I could get the, get the vodka from the, the bottle into the water bottle. So um, there's a good chance at my house if you see a open Dasani water bottle that's three fourths full. At least at some point in my house, you probably might want to smell it before you drink it, because there's a chance it wasn't water. That is not a problem anymore. And it's it's the little things you start to think about like that on on how much that drinking controls your life and becomes a full time job. It, it was a daily battle from the time I got up till the time I went to bed to either have the right medications in me where I wasn't showing withdrawal symptoms and, and, or getting the right amount of alcohol in me where I wasn't showing withdrawal systems and the whole process that comes along with that from water bottles to paper funnels to um, stops at the liquor store money spent. I mean, it's, it really turns into a full-time job. So, um, you know, I, I was very, very, I was very concerned with not drinking at work. So therefore I, 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 it was a lot of, there was some medication involved prescriptions from doctors to keep my withdrawals down, anxiety medication, stuff like that. We've talked about on the show before that eventually when you started drinking with those at some point in the day, just made the whole process worse. So, um, you know, I feel, I feel it's, it's, it's a terrible affliction for something that's legally bought. Um, and that, that that's, and I, and again, I, I'm, I'm not judging. I have no judgment about people who drink. If I could still drink, I would still drink, even knowing the danger that I put myself in from doing it. And, and I, and I think that's the other thing is, um, is it's, at some point you, you, all, all you, you long to drink like a quote unquote normal person, whatever that means. Um, in my mind, drinking as a, no, a normal person meant that you could, keep your wits about you, not drink too much, not drink so much that it involved your health. But then if you ask me, well, how many days a drink with how many days a week would that be? Well, my answer would be, well, I can't do that seven days a week and figure out how to do that. So th- therein lies the problem right there. If you're trying to monitor your drinking or you're setting any kind of rules um, to help you not drink too much, you're, 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 it's a, it's a lost cause. I'm telling you, you can't do it. You cannot do it. Um, eventually it's going to catch you and eventually you're going to have legal um, slash health problems slash relationship problems. Um, 
places out there that can help you. AA is certainly one of them. Um, it was never really, it never, it, I shouldn't say it didn't help me. It did help me. It just, I never quit drinking while I was going to AA. I, I shouldn't say that. I quit drinking for months at a time while I was going to AA, but it just wasn't ultimately my, um, um, but, but there are plenty of people that use AA. It, what the one great thing about AA is just uh, suddenly you're thrust into a room full of people that all seemingly have the same stories as you and you, and a light bulb comes on and says, Oh, it's not just me. And it's not just homeless people. And, um, so it's, it's certainly good to, um, meet a network of people that are in the same situation as you and, and you can feel comfortable that it is anonymous. So, um, any of you are out there, you can find your local AA meeting schedule online. Um, there were times in my life where I went to three meetings a day. There were times in my life where I went to three meetings a week. There have been times in my life where I haven't gone to any meetings. I have not gone to many meetings since I've been sober for this two years. Uh, but it's something that I may start doing in the future. Um, it's, it's for me right now, it's kind of an as needed thing. This, um, this podcast has become kind of therapeutic for myself. Um, when, when Corey's not browbeating me too bad on it and making fun of me. So anyway, we are about out of time for today. We'll continue coming to you every Thursday morning. Episodes will be released sometimes late Wednesday night. It just depends on my schedule, my brother's schedule, getting these things together. So again, you can follow me on Twitter at Colin McKern. Email the show golfdrinkinglife at gmail.com. This thing with Greg Norman will be interesting to watch. Still haven't heard anything from Phil. Don't know if he's suspended. I would think we will hear something from Phil before the Masters. Assuming he's planning on playing in the Masters, and I hope he does. It would, it would, it would, um, it would, it would, it would feel awkward to not have Phil at the Masters this year. So hoping to see him there. Corey, safe travels in Nashville. Hope you guys are doing all right. Um, look forward to having you back on the podcast next week. Um, kind of felt like fish out of water here today. So we'll, uh, see everybody next week. Have a great week. Thank you. You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I N.